0: Thank you, Brother Vance. Well, I invite you to open up your Bible to John 18, John chapter 18. Hope you had a restful afternoon. I know we ate so much at our slack. My goodness, we were, we were uh, pretty overdone with ourselves. That was some good eating. Some good, uh, You know, that fajita meat was brisket, so it was mm good. And uh, those desserts were something else, too. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Everything was wonderful. Uh, Kenneth is not here tonight because he is actually having to smoke some more briskets for the prison. You know, he's the chaplain at the uh, prison unit over in Jasper. And uh, so he's got to smoke five for the prison unit over there. So he's working on that tonight. We all be in prayer for him and his ministry there at the, uh, what is that unit called? The Goodman unit. Thank you. All right, John chapter 18, we're going to start reading in verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early in the morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew, your own nation? And the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Verse 37, Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king, for this cause I was born. For this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Verse 38, Pilate said to him, What is truth? And then he said this, and when he said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I found no fault in him at all, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this scripture. We thank you for the testimony we have concerning you and what you went through, even the trials, even this time with a a pagan ruler named Pilate. Lord, the coming suffering that you will endure Lord how meaningful it is to our faith how meaningful meaningful it is to our salvation and to our our very healing Lord we pray that your word would speak loudest this evening it is your in your name I pray Lord Jesus amen so picking up where we left off two weeks ago because last Sunday night we met uh, for a revival and uh, brother uh, I just want to blank preached a great message. <laughs> Lawson, brother Mike, thank you. Uh, the, in in uh, so two weeks ago, we were in the Gospel of John, and we we did the first part of chapter eighteen, and we talked about how the first two trials that Jesus faced were against these religious Jewish leaders. But in the Gospel of John, he covers none of it. Instead, he focuses on Peter's denial of Christ, and what we see is it. it, it what we see is that John does this so that we can get the end story. At the end of his gospel, remember, Jesus makes a point to a, to a, to reinstate Peter, if you will, into relationship to make sure Peter understands you're forgiven and I I love you. And so we pick it up. The Jewish phase of Jesus's trial is over, and here in verse twenty eight, they take him to Pilate. Pilate is the Roman governor. He had been. Uh, appointed to this governorship over Judea, the Jerus- not just Jerusalem, but the entire region. In fact, he did most of his ruling out of Caesarea, but he would come to Jerusalem during the major feasts so that he could be in the capital to uh, squelch any kind of riots that might arise uh, because you know, all these people, hundreds of thousands of people, would come from all over Israel to celebrate these major feasts. and This was the time of Passover, so they, the, 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 the city was just packed. And so here they do, they bring Jesus before this Roman official named Pilate. And at first glance at the scripture, we read through it, you might be surprised at the audacity of the religious leaders, the Israelite religious leaders, and how they speak to Pilate. You kind of get that terseness, don't you? That kind of, we got some attitude towards you, and I don't know about you, but if I was to stand in front of the governor of Texas. I don't know if I would speak to him that way. I I don't even speak to the mayor of Colmanil that way. I mean, I try to respect him and speak kindly. And and, and what's going on here is there's a bit of history that John doesn't give us in his gospel, a bit of history between the Israelites and Pilate that we have no idea about if all we do is read the gospel of John. History tells us that the Jews had actually gone to Israel Emperor Tiberius on several occasions to complain about Pilate. They didn't like Pilate. They wanted Pilate removed from the moment he was appointed. And in history, I found these these two I just wanted to share with you. Uh, One episode that occurred that they didn't like Pilate for was that when he first took office, he immediately brought in and set up pagan gods all around the city. And what happened is, is obviously the Jews, who believed in only one God, they basically had a sit-down strike. They wouldn't do anything. They just sat down in the city and said, we refuse to do anything. And so all around the city of Jerusalem, the Jews sat. And And history tells us they did this for five days straight. Everything was shut down, and basically Rome had to intercede. And when Rome interceded, Pilate removed the pagan statues, and so the Jews had won that one. Another uh, mention I find, and actually you can find this uh, mentioned briefly in Luke chapter 13. Just write that down. You can go and look at that later. And it's mentioned between Jesus and the people he's having a conversation with, verses 1 and 2 of Luke chapter 13. What had happened is there were some Galilean worshipers who had come into Jerusalem to worship, but they had been condemned by Rome, condemned to death. And so Roman uh, soldiers... Who were following Pilate's orders sought them out, while they were in the temple offering up their ritualistic sacrifices and killed them right there in the temple. And so, obviously, this was a big no-no in Jewish culture and Jewish eyes. And so, there's some history here between the Israelites and the and Pilate. They didn't like him. He probably didn't like them. He probably wanted to go back to Rome. Who knows? It's just something like this. It ain't good, all right? They don't like him, and he doesn't like them. And so in this interaction, you kind of see that underlying, that there's already some tension between Pilate and the Jews. And in this interaction between the Israelites and Pilate and Jesus, in this scripture, I want to point out four things to you that I think are really very important to us today. First thing is this. I want you to see the hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders. Maybe you saw it when we were reading through this. It said that they were unwilling to enter into the praetorium. Now, the praetorium is a word that just basically means headquarters. And this was the Roman military headquarters and the Roman governor's headquarters. And like I said, Pilate wasn't normally in Jerusalem, but he would come to Jerusalem. When he came to Jerusalem, he would just set a place up to be his headquarters. But what was going on is the Jews were not allowed to enter into a Gentile establishment. Otherwise, they would be considered unclean for their ceremonial festivals. And so they would not be able to partake in the sacred Passover meal if they went into this Gentile uh, house, this Gentile establishment. Yet they did not see how their lying and their conspiracy to commit murder against Jesus, their conspiring to have Jesus put to death, was more than enough to defile them. Y'all get that hypocrisy, right? They, they just did not get the point of their religious practice. This is like the believer who goes to church on Sunday, all the while having some sort of ulterior motive for their church attendance. Maybe they think that they can score social points with those that they stand in society with, or maybe they, they feel like they gain some sort of favor with God, or, or maybe they even think they're earning their salvation. It's just not going to happen that way and, and, and this is the hypocrisy that the Jewish leaders are going through. Their motive for wanting to kill Jesus was not what they said it was. It was not because he had broken their laws. We know it was because Jesus was stealing their popularity. We know that they were jealous of how popular Jesus was. Evil men were threatened by his truth and by his goodness and his power to not only heal the sick but to forgive sins sins boy, I think they were threatened by his purity. They were threatened by the fact that everything he did was, was born out of a heart of love and purity and righteousness, and they knew they couldn't stand a chance against that. They cannot stand for, it to, for, for him to prosper while they lose power and popularity. And so they're going to do everything in their power to bring it to an end. Their hypocrisy is really masking a deep hatred for Christ. It's really masking their own depravity. We've talked about this as we've gone through the Gospel of John. They were not ignorant of what they were doing. They knew exactly who Jesus was. And Jesus, what he basically says is, you don't believe, not because you don't know, but because you have hardened hearts. Out of a hardened heart is birthed this depravity, this hatred, and really hypocrisy, trying to hide their true colors. What kind of people... When given the opportunity to show mercy, denies the opportunity. Instead, yells out, crucify him. Because they were given this opportunity, as we read the very last verse, uh, or the very last section of the scripture. Pilate says, hey, you know what? I give a pardon every Passover to someone. How about you let me pardon this guy? And they say, no, give us Barabbas. Now, my says that he was a robber. But that Greek word there can mean a whole lot of different things. He could be a thief. Some of yours might say that he was an insurrectionist or he was a, a rebel. In other words, he would go and incite rebellion against the Roman government and cause trouble for the Israelites. And so instead of losing Jesus Christ, instead of practicing compassion on Jesus, and they are literally been giving another chance, instead they say, no, give us Barabbas, give us this thief, give us this known criminal. The hatred and hypocrisy in their hearts is so deep that they would rather a known convict be loosed rather than an innocent man. In chapters 18 and 19, on three separate occasions, the godless leader, Pilate, comes to them and says this, I find no fault in him. We read one of them. The the next two times he says it are in in chapter 19, and we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. I find no fault in him, yet they they are pressed all the more for Christ being crucified. Their hatred, their jealousy, their hypocrisy have overcome them to the point of no return. Have you ever witnessed an execution? I've not. I've not. We've watched movies, you know, where that's happened, you know, uh, where they've hung someone or where they've electrocuted or or they've tortured someone and I can barely barely even watch it. I I can't stomach it. it. To me, it's just... It's human cruelty being poured out. Whether they deserve it based on the judge's sentence or not, I just there's something in me, I just can't quite take it. It's, it hurts me to see someone go through that kind of pain and that, that kind of torture. What kind of hatred then would it take for guilty men to want it to be carried out on an innocent man? Note the hypocrisy birthed out of their hatred. See that in this Scripture. We see what Jesus... We see what he faced. And do you know why he faced it? For us. Right? He faced that for you and for me. Number two, I want you to see the lostness of Pilate. See the lostness of Pilate. Jesus uh, basically nails Pilate in verse 34. In response to Pilate's question, he says, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responds, Who gave you this information? Because I know you didn't come up with it. I think it's, you know, kind of Jesus is having a little fun with him maybe. I don't know. What we see though is throughout the scene between Pilate and Jesus and then into chapter 19 is Pilate is unable to follow any particular plan of action of his own. He is being torn between the power of the people and the obvious innocence of Jesus. And being of weak mind, he is essentially a puppet doing only what the crowd wants him to do. We're familiar with this type of personality. He's a people pleaser. He's a crowd pleaser. He wants popularity, yet he wants to be guilt free. He wants to do right, but is not sure how to judge right from wrong. But in the end, he is guilty. In the end, he is not willing to find truth. He questions Jesus. Jesus responds with a mention of truth and that his purpose was what? To reveal truth. That's what Jesus says. He plainly states it in verse 37. His purpose is to be the revelation of the truth of God. Now, if Pilate's interest was piqued, if Pilate really had a care for a fellow mankind, perhaps he would have had an inkling of interest in what Jesus was all about. This would have been a moment for him to cry out to Jesus to say, Jesus, tell me what truth is. Jesus, can you please explain that, what that means to me? Jesus, can I be the one that you reveal truth to? Please reveal truth. To me, But instead, what does he say? What is truth? And he's not asking because he wants to know. This is a cynical question. And the way we can tell that this is a cynical question is because of his response immediately after he asked the question, what is truth? What does it say he does? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him. So in other words, he didn't care about hearing an answer to the question, what is truth? He's being a cynic. He's kind of being a smart aleck. You know, we live in a world today where truth is constantly being questioned. What is truth? Pilate was obviously torn over what to do. He was obviously convicted about something, but it was not about truth or about the person of Jesus Christ. Catch what else Jesus says in verse 37. He says, everyone who hears of the truth or who is of the truth Hears my voice. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Proving that Pilate did not hear the voice calling to him to be saved. You can almost make the argument right here that Jesus is witnessing to Pilate. He's not saying, Let me free. He's not saying, I'm innocent. Please let me go. I'm innocent of these crimes. Instead, he says, No, I'm here to reveal truth. I'm here here to give truth to those that will listen. Pilate, do you want to hear it? Pilate, do you want to hear what I've got to say? But Pilate proves his lostness and probably his hardened heart by his own sin and his own bad choices. Listen, we live in a world where people are not convinced sometimes about the truth of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't mean we don't try. And just like Jesus, we try and we try and try to the last breath we have. Can I reveal truth to you? Oh, you don't want to hear it? Okay. I'll wait to the next person and then I'll try to reveal it to them because I want Christ to reveal truth through me and in me. Number three, we need to see the prophecy of Jesus being fulfilled in this scripture. Pilate, if he had been a strong leader, could have insisted the Jews deal with Jesus by their own method. We often teach that Jesus had to be crucified because the Jews could not kill anyone. But in actuality, the Jews could kill those who broke religious laws by stoning them. That's why uh, Pilate says to the group, you go and deal with him according to your own customs. He's basically inviting them, okay, if you want him put to death, then stone him. If you remember... In John's Gospel, we read about the woman. They caught in adultery, and they brought to Jesus, stone in hand. They were ready to stone her to death. And Jesus basically convinced them that that was not the right thing to do at that time. They were ready to stone Jesus at one point during an interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. But it was not time, or Jesus' time, and that was not the method by which he was to be put to death. So why didn't they stone Jesus? Why didn't they take matters into their own hands? Well you could argue that in their minds it was to keep them from defiling themselves. We've already talked about that they wouldn't go into the praetorium because they didn't want to defile themselves and not be able to take part in the Passover feast. Maybe they thought in their hypocrisy, wait we can conspire to have him killed but we just can't kill him and, and that'll keep us clean for the Passover celebration. That's not the real reason though. In reality The real reason is this, is it was to fulfill the prophecy about Jesus dying on a cross. They did not stone Jesus so that prophecy would be fulfilled. And John even tells us this in verse 32, right? We read that. Maybe you caught that. It says that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. You see, the prophecy wasn't just that Jesus would die. The prophecy was how he would die. And listen, we can go Old Testament or we can even look at just the Gospel of John or some of the other Gospels. Let me, write, or let me give you some uh, scriptures and you write these down and look at these uh, later. John 3.14, Jesus makes this statement. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's a mention of Jesus being lifted up on the cross. John 8.28 So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. There He is talking about being lifted up. But if that's not plain enough for you, write this down. Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 19. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, He took the twelve disciples aside and said, Look, we're going into Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn him to death and will deliver him to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third death day he will be raised to life. That's some pretty good fulfilled profi- prophecy right there, right? We know now, obviously, on this side of the cross that Jesus fulfilled this. I'm sure in Matthew chapter 20, in this particular scene, when Jesus says this to his 12 disciples, they're probably looking at him like, what a weirdo. Why would he say such a thing? But as they see the Savior on the cross, I'm sure they're thinking, oh my goodness, he knew exactly what he was saying. No doubt. So this was all to fulfill Jesus' own prophecy. And so in this, you can see how God uses the hypocrisy of the Jews and the lostness of Pilate in order to fulfill his will. And though at the moment it seems bad, bad, bad that Jesus would be uh, given over to the Gentiles to be cross, crucified, in God's plans, His will ur- ultimately turns out for the good, our good. As we look back on this story, we consider the hypocrisy of the Jews and the lostness of Pilate, we must realize that that actually turns out for our good. That, that sounds horrible to perhaps think about. Should we celebrate their, their hypocrisy and His lostness? I don't think so but we can certainly see the truth of how God can take everything and turn it into good for His purposes and for His will. Amen? Now, you are a, you're a reasonable lot, and I'm sure that you already knew the answer to this question. It was the will of God for Jesus to be crucified, and going along with what we looked at this morning, we can see against all human ability to logically explain life that it is God's will for His, for His followers to therefore, to suffer. After all, if it was God's will for his own son to suffer, can we not assume the same awaits his followers? I believe, guys, this is a safe assumption for us. That fly is just buzzing all around me. I don't know if y'all can see it or not. He is just having a field day with me. Number four, we need to see the issue at hand here is the kingdom of God. I mean, that's what kind of is underlying the conversation, is the kingdom of God. And this is a very important theme throughout the Gospels, the kingdom of God. All of this talk about Jesus being the king of the Jews, and if he is a king or not, leads to this question, if he is a king, where is his kingdom? And this is kind of what confuses Pilate. Because when the Jews come to him and say he's claiming to be a king, what this says to Pilate is that Jesus was trying to start a rebellion by claiming to be the new leader of the Jews and revolting against Rome. And so that's why Pilate comes into Jesus and first asks him, "What did you do?" He wants to know what rebellion did you lead? What fight did you start? What what trouble have you caused? But as he's interviewing or 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 going through this trial process, it comes out he didn't do anything and that's why Pilate can come back and say, "I find no fault with this man." But he's still left with this question, "Where is your kingdom?" What does Jesus tell us? Verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. Listen, his kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus, is not of this world. His argument is that if it were of this world, then his servants would have fought. Now, this is not a slight against his followers. This is not Jesus saying, boy, those 12, I thought I could count on them to deliver me from the Gentiles. That's not what he's saying. Nor is it a call to arms for us in 2018. We should not read verse 36 and come to the conclusion that Jesus wants to go and literally fight to defend his kingdom. Why? Because his kingdom is not of this world. Meaning, it is not a literal, physical kingdom. You see, earthly kingdoms advance themselves by one method. Fighting, offensing, going after, taking over, uh, through power, through battle, through weapons of this world. Jesus' point is that his kingdom is not going to be advanced through modern warfare or brute force of men and weapons, but Jesus does give us a little wink. I don't know if you caught that in verse 36. Verse 36 at the end, he says, But now... My kingdom is not from here. Right now, the kingdom of Jesus is not of this world. But there is coming a day when Jesus returns for the second time. And when he comes, he's going to set up a literal physical kingdom on this place and rule for a thousand years. Pilate, right now, my kingdom is not of this world. And so there's no earthly battle you need to worry about. Right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. now. But there is coming a day, wink, wink, there is coming a day. Number two, the reason we're not called to take up arms, not number two, but the the second part of that, his kingdom is not of this world, means that therefore his followers, and that's what else he says, his followers, his servants, are not of this world. Listen, if you are a born-again Christian, you're not of this world. That's kind of what I talked about this morning. We're supposed to be separated. We're supposed to be different. And the ramifications of this statement could go on and on for quite some time. His servants, his his followers are not of this world. But for the sake of the scripture we're reading tonight, let's look at the definitive point of what this means. We are not to force our opponents to our way of thinking. Centuries ago, the Christian missionary advance was simple. Convert or die. Become like us or we'll just do away with you. But this was not the will of God. This was not the will of God then. It is not the will of God now. Remember, Jesus heals the ear of his captor and then has Peter put away his sword. And this is why I say that verse 36 is not a slight from Jesus toward his disciples. He is making a very important point. We are of a spiritual kingdom. And so we are enlisted, not in a physical battle, but in a spiritual battle against a spiritual foe. And so it's almost like Jesus is saying, guys, my battle is not against Pilate. It's not even against the guys who are falsely accusing me. My battle is against spiritual things. Right now, my battle is against sin and death and the powers of darkness. Our battle is a spiritual battle. And so therefore, we must put on what is required for a spiritual battle. When I was in high school, I played a little football. And during football season, I had to put on the right equipment. Right? I had to put on some pads in my pants, and I had to put on some shoulder pads, and I had to put on a, a uniform. I, I had a helmet with a yellow jacket on the side, and, and I was a member of the Rockwall Stinging Yellow Jackets. That's, that was my color. That was my equipment. That was my team. And I would go out on that field, and I would do battle according to the methods of playing football. That's the kingdom of football. In the kingdom of God, I don't put on pads. On the kingdom of God, I do not put on a helmet with a yellow jacket on the side. In the kingdom of God, we dress in the armor of God. In the kingdom of God, we clothe ourselves in the love of God. In the kingdom of God, we put on righteousness of Christ on ourselves. This is the uniform of the kingdom of God. and It is also the equipment for which we do battle. And if we try to put on anything else to do battle in this spiritual battle, you know what it's kind of like? It's kind of like as if, if I had put on the McKinney. Uh, M- McKinney was one of our rivals. Or the Terrell Tigers. Oh, we hated the Terrell Tigers. If I had put on their uniform. Or you know what it also reminds me of? You remember when David was going to go face Goliath in battle and Saul took him into his tent? And Saul put all of his armor on him. And basically what the scripture says is that he just he, it dwarfed him. Because Saul was so much bigger than David. It didn't fit him. He couldn't hardly move. That wasn't what he was called to do battle with. We're not called to do battle in this spiritual war in the same way that everybody else is doing battle. We're called to do battle spiritually. 2 Corinthians 10.5 states, The weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of this world. Instead, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We do not battle as the world does battle. We do battle through spiritual means, the weapons of prayer, the weapons of truth, the truth of God being the sanctifying word of God. And so if we are the kingdom of God, then we will war and wear that which is appropriate to the kingdom of God and doing battle for the kingdom of God. I want us to note one more really quick, important point. Jesus never denies being king. He is king. He was king, he is king, and he always will be king. In fact, when he says, or when he asks him, verse 37, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. Jesus doesn't deny it. He takes full on his identity. You're right, I am a king. But y'all just don't understand what kind of king I am. What kind of king lays down his life for the kingdom? What kind of king lays down his life for the servants? What kind of kingdom gives up his very being just so we could have freedom? Pilate Pilate asked the question, what is truth? But from his initial and following responses to Jesus, he was not concerned about finding truth. Beloved, this is an issue in the world that we face today. It is a cynical point of view that questions our confidence in what the truth is. That is the word of God. Listen, I believe that Jesus is king, and you probably believe that Jesus is king. I'm going to... Yes, by my Sunday night attendance, you believe Jesus is king. But we live in a world that does not believe that whatsoever. They think Jesus is something that you can nicely add to your life and it not change your life. But the truth is, is that he is king and he deserves and is worthy of our kneeling down before him. The world is still asking the question, what is truth? Yet like Pilate, they are unwilling to sit and listen to the source of all truth. And so we must do battle. How do we do battle? On our knees, in our prayer closets, for those who are lost, for those who need truth, for those who would rather live in the hypocrisy of their lives. We must do uh, battle for the spiritual hypocrites who continue to reject the truth of Jesus Christ, that He is the King indeed. We must see that through these scenes in chapter 18, where thousands of years ago, they still resonate today. The world either wants to get rid of Jesus or look to Him with a cynical heart, with a hardened heart that says, He is not our King. But there is coming a day when all of creation, when all of creation will take a knee and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Beloved, we want them to say it before they're forced to say it. We want them to say it from a free will and a heart full of love and a heart that is bowed down to the King. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this truth. We thank you, Lord, for what you went through so that we might be saved. Lord, we want to just offer ourselves over to you this evening, however you're moving in us, Lord, that we would respond. And it is in your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.